Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another evening where we will continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a reflection that will have us considering in more depth the glory of God and the vice that works against the virtue of giving glory to God. So we're going to be juxtaposing vainglory and giving glory to God. This is going to afford us the opportunity to engage a very popular Catholic psychologist by the name of Dr. Vost. He has a number of good reads out there, uh, Memorize the Faith, Fit for Eternal Life, uh, The One Minute Aquinas, Unearthing Your Ten Talents, and the one we will be drawing from this evening, The Seven Deadly Sins. He's an excellent psychologist. He's an excellent author and writer. So, we will be drawing from someone who we can trust this evening as we engage this very important topic of giving glory to God versus our own vain glory. So with that, let us jump into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will go ahead and read verses 23 to 32. So this is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 to 32. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if Someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. Then out of consideration for the man who informed you, and for conscience's sake, I mean his conscience, not yours, do not eat it. For why should my liberty be determined by another man's scruples? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please all men in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Okay. We could probably highlight the most important verse in these series of verses as verse 31, right? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is not that the essence of our Christian and Catholic vocation? That everything we do might in fact give glory to God. That everything we do would draw people around us closer to God. Not only ourselves, but again, also those around us. So this really is what lies at the heart of our subject matter this evening. And we should say, before we get into a more extensive reflection into vainglory, you have to remember 
what St. Paul has already talked about. Now, this will bring us back to about, what, a week ago, but remember what we were talking about a week ago, where God's presence dwelled in the midst of the chosen people through what? The Shekinah cloud. The Shekinah cloud, right? God dwelled with the people in the tabernacle. God dwelled with the people in the temple. God's presence dwelled with the people. And so what St. Paul wants us to see, even if it is subtle, just as God dwelled with the people in the Old Testament, so are we to dwell in the presence of God in the age of the church, right? That we might be living in the presence of God, giving glory to God. Now, we have to look at what this means in the light of this vice of vain glory. And maybe we should say something about vanity first, lest we get uh, too far ahead of ourselves. The word vanity in the Latin vanus literally translates as emptiness or nothingness. Now, when you go into the Old Testament, yes, in its context, it certainly brings to mind excessive attention to one's physical appearance. But the danger of vanity is not necessarily in the superficial trappings, if you will, but rather in the fact that our obsessions with the material good lead to a significant waste in time. The emptiness and nothingness that properly belongs to the Latin speaks more specifically to what is empty, how we spend our time in a very idle manner, when our time is empty of meaning, okay? This is why St. Paul warns us in Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. You see, St. Paul reminds us that making good use of our time can only take place if we walk in the ways of wisdom, if we walk in the presence of God. So, when we look at vanity, we are to first understand it as, yes, an overindulgence in what we might look like, but also, and more deeply, how an overindulgence in our appearances actually leads to a waste of time. That is what vanity is all about. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas gives us uh, three ways that glory can be vain. The first being the things which, for which one seeks glory are vain or petty. Second, the persons from whom one seeks glory are uncertain and lacking in judgment. And third, the end for which glory is sought is not to magnify God's honor or to help the spiritual welfare of one's neighbor, but to glorify one's self. So as Dr. Vost speaks to it here in a nutshell then, the glory we seek is vain if we seek glory for the wrong things, from the wrong people, or for the wrong reasons. Okay, so wrong things, wrong people, wrong reasons. When we contrast that with right things, right people, and right reasons, well then, we are well on our way, huh? well on our way. Now, vanity would also have us thinking about what we look like in the mirror. Does it not? When we look in the mirror, and even sometimes that mirror has a vanity, interestingly enough, behind it, who do we see? 
we see our physical appearance. So before we even really think about it necessarily consciously, <laughs> we are looking at what we look like physically. But the challenge we have here is the need to examine what God sees. So we have to ask ourselves certain questions. And Dr. Vost offers, I think, a nice series of questions as it relates to putting God first. Do I seek notice and praise from others or even try to instill their envy for temporal passing things such as the kind of car I drive, the clothes or jewelry I wear, or perhaps the names that I drop? Do I strut and seek honor for positive traits that are not of my own doing? Do I figuratively and literally look down on others because of my great physical height? What did I do to achieve that? Do I feel better than others and more worthy of praise because of my good looks or perhaps because of the wealth or accomplishment of my parents or ancestors? Brothers and sisters, if any glory is due, shouldn't it truly go to the God who gave these good things to us so that we can in turn use the things that God has entrusted to us to bring him glory? Is this not what this is all about? It's really, in the end, about being self-centered versus other-centered. It's really about the ego drama versus the theodrama. Have we not talked about this before? The ego drama, the play we write, the play we direct, and above all else, the play that we star in versus the theodrama, the play God writes, the play God directs, and above all else, the play that God stars in. What drama are we in? We are on the stage of life, are we not? And what is unfolding all around us is the drama of good and evil. Brothers and sisters, when you talk about vainglory and selfishness, we are talking about a great sin, a sin that pervades the soul and everything that we do. So let us enter into the deeper meaning of the theodrama, the God drama, versus the self drama, the ego drama, man's drama. So some important questions, and certainly questions that we need to be thinking about in the light of how we interact with one another. Dr. Vost posits more questions. Have I been vainglorious through my words by boasting. Have you boasted of yourself today? Look back on your day today. Did you boast? Do I really believe such self-aggrandizement raises me in the eyes of others? Do I admire most those who center all conversation on themselves or those who show genuine interest by asking about the affairs and deeds of others? I think we notice that. When I was reading through these questions, kind of reflecting into what I want to talk about this evening, I really hit the pause button on this question because I think intuitively, whether we recognize it or not in a more pronounced way, I think intuitively we are drawn to the person who is more concerned about someone else and not themselves. And yes, I know we can get caught up with our idols. That one person who we idolize, if they were to walk in the room, we would be drawn to them but in a more normal day-to-day -day rhythm of life, when we see another person 
caring about another person. That's the person we are drawn to, right? And yet we go out of our way to draw people to us. So be present to that, huh? How about this question? Have I sought to show my intellectual excellence and superiority over others through obstinacy, huh? Through failing to yield to another a point that was well-made but contrary to mine. Through failing to yield to another point that was well-made but contrary to mine. That failure to recognize that God might be speaking through another person because you are so focused on yourself. Has that ever happened before? Have you ever been in a conversation where someone was making a good point and you were so prideful, you were so concerned about your vain glory that you felt the need to interject an unnecessary point, a point that did not in any way, shape, or form illuminate the essence of the point being made to you? Did you enter into how God might be working through the person you were talking to? That, my friends, is a big question, because I think that, like the previous question, happens a lot. We get envious, envious of the points that other people make, as opposed to just entering into the beauty of the point that is being made, and allowing the point being made to actually draw you deeper into a more vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. How about this question? Have I been courting Vainglory's daughter of discord? I like the way Dr. Vost put that. Have I been courting Vainglory's daughter of discord? Have I been unwilling to concede to others in matters contrary to what I will, even if deep down I know I have been wrong? This very much dovetails the previous question. So in the end, we're made to ask the question, (laughs) is the point that the other person is making actually calling me out to be a better Christian Catholic, and I'm denying that? We cannot go against God in this way, my friends. We have to allow God to work in and through other people to minister to us. Certainly, God will raise our eyebrows when we go to Him in that more personal courtship through Scripture reading, the reading of the Church Fathers and the spiritual masters, Yes, he will go there with us, but he also desires to go there with us in and through other people. And sometimes, sometimes, my friends, he might choose the least expected person to challenge you. Why? Because God will use anything at his disposal, and what's more, humble you to use the very person that you, quite frankly, can't stand. And when he does that, he's Gently reminding you, gently reminding you that in the end, we only love to the degree that we embrace the one person we, well, can't stand is a strong phrase, but struggle with greatly, okay? We can put it that way. Struggle with greatly. And a few more questions here from Dr. Vos that really, I think, draws out this vainglory versus uh, God glory. Have I been contentious? quarreling with others, unwilling to admit that I could be wrong or that my own will need not always prevail? Do I always have to have it or do it my way? Have you ever met a person like that? (laughs) And again, maybe this is the person looking in the mirror. These questions are about personal reflection. 
So it would be easy for us to take these questions and say, yeah, I know someone like that, but it's less about that and more about looking in the mirror. How do we do this? And let these questions hit home. Are we struggling with these things in our most personal relationships? Our spouses, our children, our parents, our in-laws, our closest friends? Are we using our spouses, children, parents, in-laws, and friends to build ourselves up in an unnecessary way? Do I always have to have or do it my way? This is about dying to self, okay? This is about detaching ourselves, just not from things as we've talked about it so much, but also that need to be first. You know, power and prestige can play on the mind and heart, can play on the mind and heart. And we need to die to self to overcome this need to always be in control, this need to always make sure someone understands it my way. God says no. The theodrama is about the infinite, not about you, yourself, and I, but about God. And another big question Have I been disobedient? Have I disobeyed directives from my boss, office administrators, or perhaps disregarded traffic, tax, canon, or civil laws because I believe I always know better? What Dr. Vos is doing here is he's taking vainglory and he's inserting it into the concreteness and particularity of every day life. There isn't anything that should go unchecked when it comes to pride. There isn't anything that should go unchecked when it comes to vainglory, vanity. Because if we leave it unchecked, well, what did we say from the outset? (laughs) That time, those encounters will be empty of meaning. Nothingness. Isn't that what vanity means? Nothingness. There's no vitality. There's no life in the time spent with these things that don't have any meaning. This really cuts to the chase, does it not? This is what it's about. Now, the virtue that is akin to what we are talking about is fortitude, a virtue we've discussed a great deal. But I I do bring it back and play here because if we're going to overcome our vanity, we really need to live in this cardinal virtue of fortitude, fortissimo in the Latin, strength. We need the strength, which is more about an interior discipline, to say no. Sometimes the greatest act of charity in the Christian life and the Christian walk are tied to saying no, right? It can be as simple as maybe you're watching too much television. You're indulging yourself in too many programs. Certainly, I think today, especially with Netflix and Amazon and all of the television, streaming, it's easy to just indulge. But to say no, that is a great virtue and is emboldened by fortitude. Because fortitude, it's about the courage and interior discipline to say no. No to the one thing that is so easy to say yes to. Remember, behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes. And that immeasurable greater yes is immeasurable because now you're opening yourself up to what? But what God wants to do with you in time, that your time spent is, well, 
well spent and not empty of meaning. That being said, I'm looking up at the clock and we have a little bit of time left. I, I do want to touch upon some more of the specifics as it relates to what Paul is saying here, and specifically verses 25 to 30. Eat whatever is sold and good in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then out of consideration for the man who informed you, and for conscience sake, I mean his conscience, not yours, do not eat it. For why should my liberty be determined by another man's scruples if I partake with thankfulness? Why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? All right. First verse 26. The earth is the Lord's. Here St. Paul is citing Psalm 24 verse 1. And he does so to extol the sovereignty of Christ as the Lord of all creation. That his Divine ownership of all things implies that no food in of itself should be rejected or despised. So he's citing the psalm to extol the sovereignty of Christ. He's not only the Lord of the Word, the inspired Word of God, but he's also the Lord and author of all creation. Now, what about this discussion on meat and conscience? This can kind of seem abstract. I had someone come up to me a few weeks ago and say, Joe, you, you are going through these chapters and you're drawing out its spiritual significance, but gosh, it does seem like some of it can only be applied to the first century Corinthians. And I understand the observation that he made, <laughs> but I reminded him, does this not beckon us to interpret Scripture just not in the spiritual sense, but also in the literal sense, because by understanding who Paul was writing to and all of the cultural milieu, if you will, during that time, that is the life of the Corinthian in, you know, 50 to 60 AD, can we begin to understand the spiritual application of it? In this case, we have what? But Paul addressing the issue of idol meat sold in the open market after being sacrificed in the pagan temple. Objectively, his readers are free to eat and need not worry about the past history of market food, or for that matter of meals served in private homes. In these contexts, we can say that the food is safely disconnected from the context of conscience idolatry, right? However, this is where Paul wants us to go a little deeper. His readers should abstain from eating when the food's idolatrous origin is pointed out by another. Otherwise, the informant may be scandalized and led to think that Christians have a casual attitude towards idolatry. So Paul wants us to see above and beyond what he's saying to the Corinthians that today we have to be imitators of him. What did he say? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he's not saying, imitate me like you would imitate Christ. No, be imitators of me because I imitate Christ, you see. And if you're going to be imitators of me, you have to understand that you are not going to be casual about idolatry. Fast forward almost 2,000 years. I was just talking about television. Do we not idolize 
the television. If you don't think you idolize television, then just stop right now what you're doing and ask yourself the simple question, how much time do you spend watching television, or you can replace television with a computer if you stream, okay, versus how much time you spend with God? If it's 30 more minutes, 45 more minutes, two hours, three hours, maybe four hours more than the time you spend with God, my dear friends, I hate to burst your bubble, but you have an idol. <laughs> Mea culpa, by the grace of God, go I. I'm not sitting here saying that I don't, certainly. I have to battle with this, struggle with this every day as well. But it's enough to say we have to recognize the idol and we can't be casual about it because, because people are watching and we need to encourage one another so as to build one another up. What did we read in verse 23? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So we can have the right to do certain things, but does that mean that those things we have the right to do actually build up the body of Christ? No, no. And point of fact, we can slip into idolatry and not only miss out on building up the body of Christ, but at the same time, slip into profound sin, the sin of slothfulness, and as we've discussed in great detail, vainglory, vainglory. Okay, with that, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. By the way, for Thursday's program, that program that is devoted to answering your specific questions, we are in Easter week, so I thought it would be good to respond to the question, your questions regarding the resurrection. Certainly, they've been coming in, and so I'm going to respond to your question, and for that matter, questions. Um, how can we know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and what is the importance of the resurrection to and for the Christian faith? Some important questions, and we are going to get into those questions on Thursday, so, so as to hopefully enter into the importance of those three words. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to just reflect into the richness and beauty of your word, and how your word transcends time. Yes, it spoke to the Corinthians almost 2,000 years ago, but at the same time, in its power, in its dynamism, it speaks to us all these years later. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.